Yes, here we go. Just we are back at the back the bar for the start of season two. Thanks for everyone who's been who's now coming back for more, and uh, any of you back bar virgins that are with us for the first time, welcome to the pod. Um, as always, before we start, if you like it, you think we're good, get on there, subscribe, rate, review. That always helps out, and feel free to tell a friend or two as well. Um, good reviews, though. Good reviews. good reviews, yeah. We don't want any mediocre vanilla reviews in there. Uh, or if it's negative, keep that shit to yourself. <laughs> yeah. Or we'll fight you. <laughs> I won't. I'm, I'm a bit passive. Uh, anyway, we've got the band back together. We've heard everyone's voices there. Um, it's myself, Minnie, and Skywalker. Um, fellas, how's things? All good, good in the hood. Delighted to be back. All good. Back for season two. Who'd have thought that anyone would have put up the cash for us to do this again? Uh, just, you know, I couldn't believe when Spotify contacted us about, you know, um, being our benefactor um, and yeah. taking exclusive rights. We were, it was delighted. I mean, it was a negotiation, though. I thought yeah, that was so. the first, the first offer they try to lowball us. But you know, at the end of the day, we're here now, so we've through with the readies, man. So I'm pretty pleased that we got we got from us having to pay them to just calling it even. Now you guys are getting paid. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, about that. Getting paid in love. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's pretty cool that we actually managed to. What was it? Nine episodes of season one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, some some good fun interviews. Um, I'd say I was listening back to a few wee bits the other day, uh, picking out some favourites. Um, I think my favourite my favourite story actually had to be when Tam Cowan was talking about his his original work experience. <laughs> right, we'll that's see. The hot armed window cleaner. That's an absolute class story. That was oh, yeah. class, man. No, I was there. Uh, I thought that. Do you know? Actually, one of the things, not even just the the best episode, or whatever. What I found was, um, it's probably the first time I've seen or heard myself when I'm pissed. <laughs> because usually if I'm a night out I don't fucking know whatever's happened but this was the Aye. first time I've listened back and I think there was one of the episodes I think it was the one with Babs um, with yeah. Babs uh, Ojo and um, man by the end of that I was absolutely steamboats man like none of it made sense so the fact that people actually listen to that like, I don't know what it says about them right enough but yeah. I, I think I think the one Tattoo Dave he was another absolute scotch like, he was brilliant he was, man. He was good and I think even going back to, to Adam being the, the first one uh, as a sort of guinea pig, I, I thought that went really well. Oh, in fairness, some he's yeah. so naturally funny, and just him with the talking about the guy in the um, in the cell was like, no, you're a funny, no, you're a funny. <laughs> I could just see him doing that. So he's just so naturally funny, like. Yeah. Uh, and as I said, that, that was just so new for us. So I know, I definitely. It's been it's been a good wee journey. Yeah. It's been mm-hmm. a good wee journey. I still think I, I kind of get by Mother Earth as one of your heroes, Ali. I'm sorry. <laughs> no matter, see, after all the podcast dust settles and my oh. old men in that nursing home, you're still getting there so, for that because well, I, t- I tell you what. So well, I actually just read something that me and Mother Earth are tight now. I think I'm getting news updates. I think <laughs> Apple's been spying on me, but like I'm going to send you all these Apple up- updates. And it's saying something like, if we don't get above 20 degrees by the end of May, it will be the first time in like 50 years or something. Maybe I'm quoting. I'm just making that number up there, but it's a really long time. And I was like, that's Mother Earth teaching us a fucking lesson again. So did you not? Did you not also see talking in news stories that um, the story came out saying basically everyone in Scotland has to, on average, drink 124 pints to save pubs? Is <laughs> it reopen? I'm really halfway there, I think. You tell me, I'll help the troops out. I'm yeah. thinking of that. Selfless. 
even I'll even get get the get the boys involved as well. Get look, Ruiz to be. I'm sure he could tend at least two or three yeah, times. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just give him some. Just make sure he gets his milk after. <laughs> That's it. Uh, oh. I don't know what the time frame was right enough. I don't know whether it was like over the rest of the year or by Tuesday. Yeah, I that's it. Uh, it's been good fun. It's been good fun, and obviously we've got quite a few slightly different guests coming round for season two. So I'm looking mm-hmm. forward. To yeah, got some good ones. Sitting good down ones. and talking nonsense to them and see if we can either make some new friends or that's great. New games. We get to speak to people that, in the normal course of our day to day, we definitely would not get to speak to. No, definitely not. We used yeah. to. <laughs> Every time you phone me, I'm like, no. <laughs> I'm in the toilet. <laughs> I think, uh, again, will you phone me? The, oh, what was it? Uh, and it's uh, your profile picture for what's coming up is you in a sumo suit. Uh, and it always makes me. Yeah, that, was, that was actually just a bad year for me. <laughs> I was in a sumo suit. <laughs> I was lo- lo- that was lockdown. <laughs> <laughs> for six months of lockdown. <laughs> Went full on sumo. I appreciate you calling it a sumo suit, though. Yeah, it makes me feel right. slightly better about myself. Can we just take a can we just take a break while I go eat another cookie? <laughs> oh man! Anyway, cookies I need to worry about is the gold card I've got for just eat at the moment. It's, <laughs> like, it's not even, it's not even you know how usually like you get like the occasional message from Papa John's and Domino's. It's not even like that anymore. Just eat just sends me a message like what hey, you up buddy. to? <laughs> like a total booty call message. <laughs> what are you up to? Why oh, you fucking son of a bitch? You've got me. What we having? What I having tonight? <laughs> so, do, they, do they just send oh, you like, oh, oh, yeah. send you a winky face? Uh, that's it. Just slide into my DMs. Oh, no. so, Everyone else gets a generic Domino's email with all the offers, and then he just gets a winky face. Uh, best pals with the delivery drivers now. High five! And you've got your own handshake like that. Tap tap tap. Let's see. Put in thought. I'll, I'll do that job stuff soon. I'll do it. Aye. Aye. This is my ju- COVID armor. This is what's got me through <laughs> a pandemic. Global pandemic. I survived based on this rig. So the fact of the matter is, I'm not going to get rid of that. I'm not going to get rid of that. It's a bad honor. Love. That's it. Better, better snuggler. Hard to kidnap. <laughs> I was like, oh, the Colombians come to black on. Oh, fuck that. We can't, we can't lift him. Just leave him. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, good times. Oh, hey, listen, sorry for me. Joke about it. Not used to. Not that. <laughs> not oh, what we joke? Uh, oh, dear. <laughs> well, season two finished quick. <laughs> uh, great times. Hey, great times. Good. So, uh, what have we got tonight, Johnny? What's happening? We have got Mr. Simon Donnelly coming up. Who's that? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. You booked him. <laughs> Stopped him. You mean? It's actually, it's actually, it's just a guy that's going to put on a voice. You can't see him anyway. So how are you going to tell? Could be anyone. Could be. Could, could be. be. Well, we hope it's Mister Simon Donnelly coming on. Yeah, looking forward to it. Should be interesting to hear because we obviously yeah. had Emma Dodds representing the, the blue well, side. a loose term, but the blue side of Glasgow. Um, Unofficially, because she couldn't confirm it, of course. Yeah, of course. Um, Stephen Gerrard fan Emma Dodds was obviously on um, so it'll be good to actually balance this out with uh, the, the original babyface assassin himself so mm-hmm. be good to see yeah. what stories he's got for us yeah right well let's get into this and let's bring on Mr Simon Donnelly bring him on let's go right okay here we go we are joined now by Simon Donnelly former Queen's Park Celtic Sheffield Wednesday 
St Johnston, Dunfermline, Thistle and of course Scotland player. Um, thanks for joining us Simon and being our opening guest on season two. Um, Pleasure. How you doing? Thanks for coming on. Aye, good, good guys. Good. I'm impressed that you've got my all my clubs there, correct? <laughs> I don't. We, we, we're, not, we're not amateurs here, Simon. We've done nine episodes now. So <laughs> we, <laughs> sometimes people ask me about this. Uh, I've always had this Canberra Cosmos attached to me and I do not know why. Canberra Cosmos? Yeah. yeah. If you're <laughs> moving to Canberra, it would be something you'd remember. So. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, but it's Canberra Cosmos sounds kind of made up as well. Yeah, it, does, it sounds like a Disney team. You've been, you've been into certain teams I was at, you'd go and read the programme before it and, you know, it gave you that little bit on each player. Uh, and, yeah, what more than one occasion, Canberra Cosmos, don't know where it came from. Someone's uh, having a laugh there. Just, <laughs> we'll sneak this in, see if he notices. <laughs> But you can change people's Wikipedia, can't you? You can actually go in and, and edit it and stuff like that. So like, someone's messing with you. About <laughs> not not that not that any of us will do that tomorrow. <laughs> I'm I'm too busy trying to get Eddie Howe to be the Celtic manager. Just no chance that for once he finally signs because he's supposed to be signing on Tuesday for the last six weeks. So yeah. um, see, but just to like Tuesdays. Um, Anyway, like during the week there, we've uh, we've seen the the Scotland squad for the Euros announced, and I have to say, actually, as a Scotland fan for once, I saw the squad and I was like, okay, actually, maybe we'll do something this time around. Um, and then I realised when we were talking about having you having you on the podcast that the last time Scotland were in a major tournament, you were at the kind of peak of your peak of your playing career in the Scotland squad for the France '98 World Cup, which yeah. seems just like ridiculous how long it is since Scotland have qualified oh. for anything. But uh, what was what was that experience like then going to going to the World Cup? It was one of the highlights of my career, to be honest. I mean it, it came on the back of us winning the league in ninety-eight. You know, I think there was seven or eight of us from that uh, Celtic team went in the squad. Right. And no, it was it was great. I mean, as a kid, that's what you want to do. You want to a professional footballer, you want to play for your country. You mm. sat as a kid and watched all the, the World Cups that Scotland were at at that time. So to be part of a squad in '98 was was special, you know. And I remember the feeling we actually got. We were we were in Portugal on a, an end of season. Uh, it was we were obliged to play it, and it was part of the George Cadet deal. So as soon as we won the league, we were away to Portugal, and it was when we were coming back from there that we were getting the texts and dribs and drabs, who was in, you know, and then so-and-so was in and so-and-so was in, you're thinking, please pick my name. And uh, you know, uh. when your name came through, it was, it was great. So it was a great experience. You know, I've, I've obviously said many occasions that I never, I never actually got on the field. Craig never selected me to play in any of the games, which was probably the, the one disappointment for me. I would have loved to say I was on the pitch and played. Yeah, uh, that, yeah for me but just to be part of it we went to the States as our kind of pre-tournament tour and we played Colombia and the US and just to be a part of everything you know the first game against Brazil in the Stade de France mm -hmm. when we, we all came on in the, the kilts it was mm -hmm. it was good times it's good ones to look back on you know my family were at the, the games as well so it was a good experience Who was uh, who was your roommate when you were travelling? Uh, Jackie Jackie McNamara we were kind of roommates at Celtic and Craig just kept up, you know, for Scotland. So we, we got on well. You know, we're good friends, as you you probably know. So mm -hmm. 
It was it was good. It was a great experience. The whole the whole thing. We were I kind of describe it now as a, a free holiday because <laughs> we, we were based down in south of France, which I frequent on holiday quite a lot. So we're in a place called Saint Remy de Provence. Uh, really picturesque, beautiful. And the weather was great. So you got in the morning, you'd go and train uh, with the squad. We'd be back by the poolside afternoon, relaxing. The food in the hotel was fantastic. We went into actually a couple of the games. We went down to watch France play, I think it was South Africa and Marseille. We went down as a squad. So the whole thing was great. You know, the only disappointment I, I have personally is that I never I never got on the, on the pitch. Mm-hmm. Did you get um, see how you played Brazil? And obviously, like the jersey swapping. Did you manage? Did you still manage to get a jersey off anyone? Oh, I get, that was mother disappointment. <laughs> oh, region, <man. laughs> well, well done, well done, money. Just drag up these bad memories. <laughs> With being a sub, uh, you're obviously not on the pitch at the end when people. I think, I think the whole eleven players from Scotland on the pitch probably made a beeline for for Ronaldo at the end of the game. <laughs> uh, so you're not, you're not. Uh, you don't have that advantage. So what you find after games is the subs usually, after everything's calmed down, we'll go back out and do a wee bit of kind of fitness work. Mm. We were on our way out the tunnel as Brazil guys were making their way back in. And the guy, Danielson, oh, who yeah, yeah. at the time was a bit of a name, you know, he mm. never never really lived up to the name. I think it was a 20 million signing for Real Betis. Anyway, at the time he was well known for, I don't know if you remember, Brazil had a Nike advert where they were... Mm. You know, through dancing the, through, the the through the airport. Well, aye, aye. He was part of that. So I've seen him come in and I thought, I'm going to try and get his jersey here. So I went up and just in my best uh, lingo, I, I, I kind of hands, the old hands came out and he <laughs> got the jersey, got to swap jerseys. And he just pied me. He just went, <laughs> no. <laughs> and I've kind of walked away and I thought, oh, well, I didn't want your jersey anyway. But <laughs> So little did I know that when this was happening, Jackie had bowled his brass, just went straight into the Brazil dressing room. <laughs> He'd managed to get Bebeto's jersey. Oh, well, so when I've come back from doing my running, I've come back in quite gutted that I hadn't got a jersey. And he's sitting there with a number seven. It was a great number, eight, Bebeto, number seven on the front of the Brazil. Iconic Brazil strip. Yeah. Yeah. For the whole, whole rest of that trip, every night without fail, he used to get into the toilet in the, in the bedroom. He'd come out with that strip on, and you know that Rio de Janeiro. Uh, out. He'd put uh, that full blast and he'd give me the. <laughs> <laughs> I'm lining my head every night to wind me up because I never got a. Never got a... <laughs> Sounds like a great mate. <laughs> <laughs> Just rubbing it, rubbing it right in there. Apart from that, it was great. It really was. It was a really good experience. Oh, I can yeah, imagine. Yeah. I suppose while we're on the topic, I guess, what's the thoughts on the Scotland squad? Well, just I think what you said there, I, I, I like it. I'm quite excited by it. You know, the young boys that came in, I think Turnbull's had a great season at Celtic. He's, he's been the yeah, he's been shining good. light he'll come midway through. He's did really well. I love the wee boy Billy Gilmore at Chelsea. Mm-hmm. I think he's going to be a top player. He, he is good, yeah. And I like, I like Patterson at Rangers. You know, I think... It's not a strong position in the Scotland setup. It reminds me a wee bit of a, a, a tyranny coming through at Celtic. You know, a lot of energy bombing forward, wants to attack, good mm. attitude, hard working. I know he's a defender initially, but I think I think he is a good addition as well. So I was excited with the three of them. I've always pushed for bringing youth in and, and, 
and building it as we go. And I think to, to add that, that'll give us a wee bit of freshness on top of the guys that are already there who I think will do a good job. You know, your McTominay's, McGregor's, McGinn, who's excelling in the Premiership, Robertson, Tierney, obviously, you need to find a, a way to fit them in. But I'm, I'm very positive with the, with the squad. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, it's a good looking squad. It's one of these things actually. Looking at it, it was like if you if you only needed to play left backs and midfielders, we'd be probably world class yeah. now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, but everyone's always talking about McTominay as well. Like uh, he's uh, he was pivotal to to Man United's uh, progress this season. So mm-hmm. yeah, there's a lot of good players there. Yeah. No, I think we've got a, a chance. I think who, who do we play first? Is it the, the Czechs? Czech Republic, yeah, Czech yeah. in England. It's a, it's, a, it's a big game, the first one. If we can go off to a, a winning start, you know, the England game will be difficult. I watch mm-hmm. the, the English football and they'll get some fantastic players. Yeah. I mean, Foden, incredible. You know, I hope he has a, a 24-hour flu against us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's just they seem to have good strikers, you know, that they, they've got an abundance of strikers. You know, they, they can mm. probably have six, seven, eight guys that, that they could yep. play up front. Um, and there's names that they're leaving out that, that would be your first choice every single day. I, know, so. I, know, I, know. <laughs> but I think if we can get a positive start, mm-hmm. it, it sets us up. Yeah. You know, England gets a one-off and then mm. get creatures. So I'm, I'm optimistic. Do you know, I think it's quite good though, see, because there's been so much expectation in the squad to make a tournament, and that's been the big thing because we've not made it in so many years. So we've now made it, so that pressure's away. So I'm hoping that just means it's, this is a free hit. Like, go and just express yourself, go and do what you got to do and see how we go on. It'll be exciting. It'll be exciting. Yeah, that, yeah, we've got a lot of forward-thinking, exciting players, you know, in our squad, and there's, a, there's three or four of them doing really well in the Premier League down south as well mm. as the guys we've got up here. I think I think if we've got the positive attitude and, and have a go, you know, I think they can cause problems to the, the other teams in the group. Only disappointment for me is that someone's chucked a meeting in my diary at 2pm on the Monday when the game kicks off against Czech Republic. <laughs> uh, um, you'll be on the 24-hour hour flu as well. It'll <laughs> <laughs> be a off some yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's understandable though I mean in fairness how long I've been waiting for this yeah. I was having this conversation in work as well I was like, like we shouldn't be in work we should just be going and enjoying Listen, this this is a big well, deal I can say it now because he's long time retired but my, my dad was a teacher in 1998 that's exactly what he did <laughs> seriously from his school I get up in Paris there wasn't as many cameras back then so he uh, it's safer to do uh, that's what uh, he did, eh? Oh god, I know. I am I'm pretty sure there'll be a new pandemic in Scotland that, that week. You know, so I think because they're talking about a fan zone in uh, George Square as well. That's mm-hmm. assuming that Glasgow have like a sort of tier three, but I mean I think uh, that would be be amazing. Just spraying coronavirus everywhere, just everyone having an absolute hoot. Outside in it, really we wait uh, all this to get to a final zone in, but in this bloody situation. Exactly. Can you imagine? I've been lucky enough to. I've been down to. I went to Wembley as a fan twice. The the one Gaza scored in '96. I took my dad, right. and then I was down. I was at Sheffield, and me, Phil, and Philip Scott, the two Phils, travelled from Sheffield down. The one that Hutchison scored. Oh and yeah, I know. Really lucky. I think Christian Daly had a header, and we'd uh, taken it to to extra time. Mm. So these experiences are great, and it's just a pity that we're going to. 
I know there's going to be fans at Wembley, but imagine a full. Uh, it won't be the same, will it? Yeah, I think that's the thing. The thing as well, though, see, because of the pandemic, no one could go out, so everyone was more bought into anything that was in TV that was different. That's why like, everyone loves Line of Duty and all that at the moment. Scotland yeah. trying to get into the that game with the Serbia game. Like, I was in tears at the end of it, and I was like, you know, up until that point, I'm like, oh, well, oh, well, it'll be glorious failure, it'll be glorious failure, and then there's me, Ryan Christie, bubbling, and I'm sitting there dr- wiping my eyes because I'm like, I'm so bought into this. Like, uh, it's brilliant, so uh, I'm, I'm looking forward uh, to it. I think the best quote was that uh, they, they shut the pubs, uh, and then Scotland managed to make it to a World Cup final. Or a coincidence, I yeah, that's it. The same with rugby earlier in the year that uh, the year we actually after about thirty, nearly forty years of not winning mm-hmm. down in Twickenham we win and it's yeah. the fans that are enjoying it I watched that as well it was a great yeah. occasion oh, it's ridiculous um, missing the fans uh, but I think I think I think getting to the finals I think it will I think with the Rangers Celtic thing up until Rangers won the league there everything was focused on the domestic game but I think everybody now will turn towards this tournament that's coming up and I think mm-hmm. it will capture the the imagination. I know there is a few mm. things going on with Glasgow and hopefully we can do that. Uh, but yeah, I think everybody's excited for it. As long as George Square's been cleaned up enough. <laughs> Maybe not going into too much detail. Uh, that, but, uh, see, with the fa- obviously the domestic season, Rangers winning the, the league and everything. Do you think the fans played a big part uh, in sort of Celtic's sort of poor form, I know that they were just really, really poor through the whole season, and and you can say maybe fans would uh, wouldn't help much. But normally the the fans are the twelfth man uh, at Celtic Park. Do you think that played a lot into to this season? I think it, I said earlier in the season when I thought it was going to be a race. I, I, I didn't think it would be too much. It would have too much bearing. But now hindsight. I mean, I watched a game, I watched the Man United game the other night when Cavani dinked the 40 yarder mm-hmm. mm-hmm. yeah. and the emotion and everything there. And then I watched, was it Brentford and Bournemouth yesterday with 4,000 Brentford fans willing them on and they win 3 1. And you're just, it's only when you look at that after the year of no fans that you realise, mm-hmm. and you think back to even what my days when you, there is days when you're maybe finding it tough and it's maybe not going for you. And the fans, lift you that little bit, especially teams like Celtic. I mean, I covered I covered the game through at St Mirren for Celtic TV right at the start of the, the season there. I think Celtic won 2-1 on the night. It's like a reserve game. It was like, there was no atmosphere. I'd, I'd worked the game the, the year before there, and it was you know, Celtic obviously go to these smaller grounds and, and fill it. Aye. There was just no atmosphere. Whereas I think with Rangers, I know it's the same for everybody, maybe Rangers with the pressure, if it hadn't went well, you know, fans get on your back the other side of it. Mm-hmm. It's hard to say, but I, I definitely watching the games recently where there's been some fans back in, it just it brings it all back how important that is to, mm-hmm. to have fans at the games. Yeah, it's, absolutely. It's soulless without them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. As you said, when you actually see the fans in the ground, and again, we can enter rugby and stuff, and we've been watching New Zealand rugby. And they've had, obviously New Zealand, they're absolutely fine now. Um, and see, just watching games and there's like full stadiums and everyone's having an absolute hoot. You totally miss that whole dynamic of it's fine watching well, it on the TV, it's but aye, it? yeah, this this was the norm before. Uh, uh, I know. Sure, we get back to the better. It's been sad. It's been sad. But so just on the topic of Celtic, I guess the question 
would be what happens next, mate? What's going to happen? Well, what do we think? Do you think Howe's going to be in? Do you think we've got any I, contingency? It's a wee bit concerning, I'd say, at the moment. I think I think there'll be something announced this week. I, we've got our own podcast and we've been talking about this for, for weeks and weeks and weeks. Mm-hmm. And I don't really have any inside info, but I think... Uh, I think one of the holdups possibly were how was obviously the, 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 what happened to Bournemouth in the playoffs. Yeah, yeah. And now they're out, you know, and it's not going to go another week, you know, if they've got to the final, I think there might be something announced this week. I, I hope, because it's been a really tough year for Celtic and, and the Celtic support, you know, paying yeah. season books and <clears throat> not really been rewarded with anything. And, and then this uncertainty about the next challenge, which is going to be huge yep. for, for Celtic. You know, Rangers have now got the momentum. There's going to be a lot of change in, with the, the staff at Celtic, with the players at Celtic. It's an enormous job for the next guy coming in. So it'd be great just to give everybody that wee bit of excitement, that wee bit of lift, right? Let's get the manager named and then let's start recruiting, you know, and yeah. get players through the door. I was going to say they need to announce someone soon because the season tickets letters have been out, so they're going to need something. <laughs> they're going to need oh, yeah. something. And fans to to step up and, and and pay for season books again. Let's mm-hmm. let's give them somebody you know that they can focus on. Right, this is going to be the guy that takes us forward. Mm-hmm. I think you you obviously in your playing career experienced it from from that angle as a player. Um, Rangers were very dominant, <clears throat> and then says you you were part of the Celtic squad that stopped Rangers t- ten in a row. Um, what what is the the feeling in the dressing room for for the players and you know is there like a leader or is it a whole group is the manager leading that forward like what what is the mentality when you're, when you're part of that? And the, the leader has just left. You know, mm. Scott Brown has been there, yeah, for forever. You know, and and been through all that success as the leader in the dressing room. So there's your first job that you have to replace him, and. That's going to be a big one for the guy coming in. Is he going to is he going to use somebody there as the, as the next captain? Is he going to have somebody in mind that he can bring to the club, you know, to take that mantle? Uh, speaking from my my experience, we had pretty similar that year, you know, uh, for Rangers going for ten. We had a lot of change, you know. Vim Jansen came in. We were already in pre season training. Murdo McLeod had been appointed. As in fact, Murdo tells me now he, he wasn't even sure what his role was going to be that year when he came. But right. he asked, hey, "It's incredible! It's a film actually that year." I always say it's a somebody should make a film it. But Murdo took us to to Holland, and he was supervising pre-season training when when Vim was appointed. And I remember as it's almost clear as day, but it was a really hot day, and we were we'd started training. And Vim strolled onto the, the training pitch and he had the, the Celtic shell suit. Now, this kind of shell suit feel. Right. He must have been absolutely sweltering in it with the perm. <laughs> I, I was looking and thinking, who's this guy? And it was very much ignorant on our part because the guy, as we all know, played in two World Cup finals with Holland, mm-hmm. uh, well respecting the game, but just because we didn't know him. So that was late in the day. And then I don't think the transfer window was as what it is just now. So you had drip-feeding players right up to, I think, Lambo came in maybe October, September, October. But there was players, eight players came in 
so it was very much similar to, to just now, but fortunately for us, we gelled. There was some big characters in that dressing room. Tom Boyd was a fantastic captain mm-hmm. and it clicked. But, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be a big a big change for Celtic uh, for this season coming. So with him, Jansen taking over, I guess I think the thing as well is that this is before the advent of social media and stuff like that. So see now, if there's any names getting rumoured, there's hundreds of rumours flying about for everything. So anyone can go very quickly and find out who is this guy. But it's maybe it's a slightly different back then when, as you said, a guy in a shell suit with a perm comes strolling on you. Like, what is going on here? <laughs> like, I, did not, I didn't know Vim Jansen from, from the next guy. And I look back a wee bit, you know, I, I should have been clued up because full of respect for him and what he's had achieved in the game before he even came. But what I liked about him on day one, when he did come and introduce himself, he had that kind of calmness and he was saying everything, we worked with the ball. Because back in that day, there was still the tendency, you know, the, the pre-seasons just to run the boys, run the... Everything was with the ball. And, you know, that immediately took a, a likeness to him. Uh, I liked his, his methods in training. And he turned out to be, albeit a, a, a one-season wonder, he was fantastic. You know, I really enjoyed working under him. And how was it moving from Tommy Burns to Vim? What was the difference oh, in the dynamic? To, Tommy Tommy was great as well. They're my two favourites that I worked with. Tommy, was, I, was, I was at a different stage of my career with Tommy. I was, I'd just broke into the first team 1920 when, when Tommy came to the club. And then I had a really... I had a really difficult first full season. I came in and I think I scored five goals in ten games towards the end of that season under Lou McCarry. And at 19, you're thinking, is this what it's like every week? This is easy. <laughs> I was soon brought back to, down to reality the following season. We went to Hamden and I had a couple injuries, but I, I, I didn't hit any. My confidence went. It was almost that expectance, whereas before nobody knew you. There was this expectance to go and do it again. I found a lot of pressure on my shoulders. I had a terrible season, absolute terrible season. And that was when he took me aside after that season and said, look, I've had to think about this. I'm not going to play up front. I'm not going to have you leading the line. I don't think you're you're big enough, your stature. I'm going to play in a, a deeper role on the right where I think you can get the ball and go and, you know, link. And then he brought, obviously, Jackie to the club. And it was the best thing that for my career. It was 100% the best thing for my career because up until then, I regarded myself as a striker. I'd always played up front. But I'd, I'd struggled that second season. You know, I wasn't the biggest guy. And to take me out of that firing line and then go and get... You know, he brought Pierre in. That was the biggest uh, move... It changed my career. You know, I, I started seeing things differently. I started, I had more strings to my bow playing in that slightly deeper role. But he was, if you ask any of the young guys at that time, he was, he was a father figure as well. You know, he was a, a lot of the stuff off the pitch as well. He would help you with, you know, anything in your private life. It was, it was very much the father figure. So for that, it was, it was a different, and I, I became an established first team player under Tommy. So I was at a different stage of my career, obviously, when Vim came in. Uh, as I said, I'd got myself into that first team squad, was regarded as a first team squad member. And Vim just brought a, a kind of calmness, where TB 
TB with the red hair could really lose it at times if he needed to. Vim, the diff, the, this is the big big difference for me with the, with the two of them. I think after a game, I, like, say you had a, a, a poor result or something had happened, you'd always come into the, the dressing room and somebody would say something and it would be like, the match would be lit and all hell would break loose. You know, if, if it was verbal, sometimes it would go more than verbal. Vim would always come in after a game and say, win, lose or draw, she's Monday, we're talking Monday. And it just gave everybody right. that chance. If it had the, you know, if there was something about to explode, it would just, everybody would calm down. And then even when the Monday came around, he would only specifically speak to the guys, you know, if there was a certain situation, it was a centre-back or the, the full-back, he'd go and speak to them individually. You know, so it wouldn't be a big, inqu- a big inquest and get the whole squad uh, in. Uh, Times that can go off in tangents and people can switch off or people can get bored with it, to, to be quite frank. It would, that, that, that was a, a wee bit about his management I quite liked. Uh, and it was maybe that Dutch element, maybe that's that was the norm there, I don't know. But they were my two favourite coaches. They, they both wanted to play football, which me as an attacking player, yeah. you know, that's what I, I wanted deal. to do. Yeah. And just to end, myself. When you're saying about the uh, sometimes after the games it would kick off, who are the who are the explosive characters in the team then? Back then, uh, the Canyon. Uh, uh, yeah, right. If there's a list of people, he'd be the top of it every time. And even I remember like the, the quietest. I, I remember losing it with Mark Reaper at one point at half time. I think he'd kind of he gestured. I'd made a mistake on the pitch and he gestured and made it almost obvious for everybody in the stadium to see it, which I, I, didn't, I didn't like. Mm. I thought, you, you know, you're, you're a teammate. Help, help me in that situation rather than highlight mm-hmm. the mistake to uh, the 6,000 yeah. who <laughs> probably already seen the mistake and probably already on my back. <laughs> <laughs> I remember having bought him at half time and it's weird when the red mist comes down because 10 seconds into it, I'm here and I'm looking up at him and I'm thinking, <laughs> there's only one winner here. <laughs> so it's not necessarily, you know, something can change I anybody just... in the dressing room. You know, and I think without really remembering specifics, that tended to be, I think when you had... And a Peter Grants and, and guys of that character who'd come through the eighties. That that was that was the norm back then. See, see, getting somebody. Uh, I mean, I, I remember stories of before my time with Mick McCarthy. See, if, if, if a player had another player up against the wall at halftime, we scuffed the net about something that was just kind of shrugged off. Right, that's that's what you do. And mm. and I kind of caught the end of that. And I just think, round about the time when Vim came in, it's probably why I remember it. Because it was so different to what I was, what I was used to. So that was the big, the big, the big change from getting I, a leather in the half time to <laughs> sitting down and talking about things. I think uh, as much as I loved, and I think he, he deserved to win a title, Tommy. He really did with what he brought back to the club in terms of the style of football we played ninety five, ninety six. Uh, I, th- I, th- I think we needed that kind of see the further you went into that season where we had to stop it. I think that actually helped us. Uh, Vim 
just saying, right, we'll see him Monday and keeping everything. It was it never ever I never ever seen the guy lose his temper once. That's always good to have that type of dead, steady head, you know, because you always see that managers like immediately jump to mind is like Jose Mourinho. You know, he had the started off his career, he was winning everything and everyone respected him. Whereas I don't think he's he's getting the respect he wants now and he drags his players out in front of the, the media. And and I think you could see him losing the dressing room because you would, he wouldn't be that type of character um, to keep things going. It's a different era and... It's not exactly, it's not entirely something I agree with. Because uh, I think sometimes when, let's call it the hairdryer treatment, mm-hmm. I think now and again when it's needed, it's useful. Mm-hmm. I think when you're doing it all the time, players will just go, here he goes again, and yeah. switch off. Mm-hmm. But see, if it's done at the right times, mm-hmm. it can actually be quite useful because like, oh, we've done something wrong there, a bat's been wrong and you I think, you know, it's getting the balance. It's getting the balance. You're not telling me for one minute, like, Pep Guardiola just now does not lose it. I've seen, I've seen the films. <laughs> These yeah. guys lose, lose the rag when it's needed, but it is, it's a balance. Mm-hmm. Maybe more of a balance nowadays. I think especially see with the fact that everyone's got a camera phone kicking about and recording. I think everyone needs to be a wee bit more mindful, especially given the fact that you know, everyone takes quite a lot of offence to everything as well now. Like, I think managers need to be really mindful of what they're saying and where they're saying it because if that's picked up on camera, it's going to be all over Sky Sports News and then you're going to get all these, like, you know, groups coming in and going, that's disgraceful. You can't call someone an idiot because that's offensive to idiots and all that stuff. So it's a, it's a crazy time, man. A crazy time. Yeah. I'll be honest, I feel like the last few minutes have also been coaching me and my parenting style a little bit as well. <laughs> So get that hair dryer away again with that stuff. <laughs> they're, o- they're only two and three years old. Boys I'm the manager in here, but I've got three boys in the <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man, yeah. I don't, I know, I don't know how many managers are dishing out timeouts, so. though. Oh, yeah, that's it. I'm, d- I'm definitely the assistant manager in this house anyway, so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Well, so the, the other part of your career, you obviously moved down south. Um, did you feel a big difference between the sort of Scottish game and the English game and even the way they approached, um, how they played? I think, the, I think the opposition obviously was a lot better. Uh, in terms of no disrespect to here, but you, I mean my first two games at Sheffield Wednesday when I went down were Liverpool at home and Man United at Old Trafford on the on the Wednesday. <laughs> and as much as I was excited about them, they didn't pan out particularly great for me. I, I, I was fortunate enough to get the start on the Saturday against Liverpool, which again growing up as a kid, Douglas was my hero, so this is great. All my family were down. Uh, I get the hook after 60 minutes. We get beat 2-1. Robbie Fowler, I think, scored. And I found myself suddenly out the complete setup at Old Trafford on the Wednesday night, not even on the bench. Again, my family had stayed down. Everybody went over to Manchester and I'm dropped completely. And then I found myself back in on the Saturday, starting again at Bradford away. And now when I look back on that, I'm playing right midfield and I know I've not had a great game against Liverpool and I'm disappointed to be dropped on the Wednesday. So I'm back in eager, keen as mustard, to go on the Saturday. 
And as I said a minute ago, I can't defend. So I find myself chasing Peter Beagley back into the air box, eager to, to impress, and brought him down and gave away a penalty. <laughs> that was my fault, Jeffy Wednesday. Oh, <laughs> really better than that, football wise. But I think the, the difference is obviously there's more better teams. Uh, I wouldn't yeah. say, again, not, not want to be disrespectful to the guys in the Sheffield Wednesday dressing room. I don't think I walked into a better dressing room in terms of quality than I'd left. Yeah. It's, which is maybe saying something because Sheffield mm -hmm. were in the Premiership. Uh, but I'd left a dressing room with Larson, Maravchik, your Lamberts, mm -hmm. your Bullies, all internationals. Oh, you know, I'd, this, the, the, they, weren't a, they weren't in comparison to the... I mean, we had, in Sheffield Wednesday's dressing room, we had Des Walker, who was a fantastic player in his time. He was coming to end of his career. He was, he'd have been 35, 36. The best player at Sheffield for me at the time was the, the, the Dutch lad, Vim Jonk. He was in for Milan as well. Ajax. He, he was again getting on a little bit. Uh, but I certainly did. I certainly left a better dressing room quality wise. Mm -hmm. uh, but that, that's the difference, obviously. There's, 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 there's more better opposition. But what about the, because obviously breaking through the Celtic as a kind of younger guy, I mean, you're still pretty well, you were 24, 25 when you went down to. Well, 24. Yeah, so what was the change like going from the, the kind of goldfish bowl of Glasgow and you know everyone's in your business to Sheffield? Was was there still quite a lot of recognition and kind of like paparazzi media? Or was it completely different? Oh, and that, that was one of, I mean, I've been asked a million times and there's there's more than one answer for, for, for why I, I was at Celtic seven years. And there isn't one answer why I left. But that was one of the reasons that the move appealed to me. I'd been seven years there. I was 17 when I signed myself to especially when you break in the first team. And I'm not saying every experience was bad because a lot of experiences were good, but you were constantly recognised everywhere, as you say, the goldfish bowl. And it, I suppose it comes part and parcel playing at a club like Celtic. But when I went down there, I remember I moved into a little village in the south of Sheffield. Reggie Blinker actually, he came the other way, so he'd advised me of an area, told me a nice area. And I bought a house south of Sheffield and I remember not long after moving in doing something as normal as going to the shop for milk or supermarket and nobody knows you. Nobody, and I remember that just thinking this is quite relaxed. You know, and that, it wasn't the be all and end all of, of the move, but it certainly was in my head at that, at that time at 24. I mean, looking back now, I don't think I ever... I certainly, no, I certainly didn't ever experience the levels of football in terms of Rangers games, European nights, Celtic Park. I never had that again in my career. But there was, there was different bits to it. At 24, I thought, is this my only chance of maybe getting to the English Premiership? Mm -hmm. Hindsight, at 46, maybe it wasn't the correct move in terms of they were a team struggling at the bottom of the, the league, I came from a team where with 90% of the possession, always attacking. Uh, you're going into a team there on the, the wrong end of the league and it's, it's, a, it's a fight every week, which mm -hmm. wasn't in my strengths, nowhere near my strengths. And that's maybe why I found it difficult uh, at Sheffield. 
But I, I, I don't regret it. And I, my, my oldest son was born there. I've got fantastic memories of my four years there. Uh, made a lot of friends. Enjoyed the football. There, there was highs. I know we, we get relegated that first year. There was good times. Mm. Uh, but it's just one of those things. It's experience, isn't it? Exactly. It's life experience that you sometimes it works for you and you kick on. Other times you maybe take a couple of steps back. I, 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 injury problems at Sheffield, which out with the year that we talked about there at Hamden, I didn't really experience much of that at Celtic. I was fortunate enough to be fit most of the time I was at Celtic. Uh, so that was a new experience, wasn't it? A good one. I think I missed the best part of our a season at Sheffield through injury. Uh, but, yeah, as you say, it's, it's life experience, ups and, ups and downs. That's it. Because, like, uh, being being injured uh, in a move like that, that must be incredibly frustrating because, I said, we, we, <clears throat> the three of us played rugby and we, we've had our fair share of injuries. Uh, and we were at the, say, fair share of Gemmel there's made of chocolate. Um, but, uh, you know... Very it's, soft it's, chocolate. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we were just amateur, amateur game, but you'd get injured, you know, twist an ankle, hurt a shoulder, something. You were desperate to get back in and, and play. When you're at it to like, uh, you know, the English Premiership or professional football, it must be 10 times more frustrating, especially if you're looking at a team struggling, you want to feel like you're contributing to it. And um, yeah, yeah it, it must be you, difficult. You know what it was really for me thinking back? We were coming down for Scotland where. I don't care. It's regarded as a lesser league, mm-hmm. right? Rightly or wrongly, I mean Celtic, a size, a club of Celtic, and I, I'm touching on the quality of the player in each dressing room. But you're going down there and you want to prove yourself, you know, in the Premiership, and to be hindered by injury, particularly in that first season when we were in the Premiership. Me and Phil <clears throat> never did ourselves justice. We never took the form. And the way we could play to the Sheffield, there was, there was flashes of it. Phil had uh, struggled with injuries as well. There was flashes through the four years, but on the whole, we never took what we did at Celtic to Sheffield, which was a huge frustration. And by the way, it had been a huge frustration for the, the Sheffield Wednesday fans as well, because exactly. we, we did, we took a bit of stick, you know, mm-hmm. who are these guys that have come down. And we are obviously injured. And no player, you've touched on it there, at any level, professional, I mean, nobody wants to be injured. You want to be playing. It's a short short enough career. You want to be playing. And it, there was there was some real low times. You know, I, I remember at one point, mine was an ongoing injury. And at one point I did think, is this, is this me finished with this? You know, is this my career over at 25? But you fight on, you fight on. The good thing for me at the time, and I think Phil... We were in the we were in the, the gym together, doing our rehab together. So we were kind of keeping each other going. Yeah. But I just just frustration because you couldn't you knew you were you were better on what you were showing or, or what you you potentially could go out and show because whether it was injury or whatever, and it never never clicked. And any of the time I was there, even when we were in the championship, I struggled with the championship. Quite a physical league. Little flashes here and there, I'd, I'd little periods, but nowhere near enough. I, th- I think I, in the four, four years, I think I only played 80 to 90 games, which mm-hmm. is nothing, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't a good time for, for different reasons, football-wise. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, okay. Uh, no, and just moving on, obviously you can back up the road um, for a few more uh, shots at the, the Scottish Premiership. Um, but then you obviously made the move into coaching alongside yeah. Jackie as well. So obviously that was Thistle, Dundee United, York and whatnot. So what was the transition like, see, from being on the pitch, you know, and then to being the person that's responsible for the people on the pitch? What was what was this kind of change in mentality? How did you find it? I found it a wee bit surreal at first because I, I played with the boys. I played, I was at Partick, out with Celtic. That was the most appearances I made for a club. So I'd been there and played with these guys for more than one season. They were my teammates. And even as, as, as near as two or three months before Jackie got that job, I didn't really have coaching as my next step. And it all came about quite quickly. So it was almost overnight. You went from teammate to the assistant manager who is making decisions alongside Jackie, obviously, picking teams. But in fairness, and I have to really, every guy to a man in that dressing room gave me and Jake respect, you know, and although they appreciated we were, we were in the coach's office, we weren't in the dressing room, they were really, the guys that I played with were great. They were great and made it a lot easier for me, made the transition a lot easier for me. You know, there was, there was no problems in the dressing room. Uh, and then you grow into it. You go with it, you, you, you take the bits from good managers that you worked under, you take bits that you didn't like and move them to the side if you didn't feel they worked with, with certain other managers. And you just go with it, you, you learn as you go. Uh, I think for me, the game doesn't really change. It's, it's really how you deal with people and how you get the best out of that guy in the dressing room, what makes that guy tick, maybe doesn't he make that guy tick. And... You, I mean, I've watched a great film with Sir Alex recently and that's what he said. You need to get to know your dressing room, who you're dealing with. So that's that's what we did with that. Uh, and we grew into it and thoroughly enjoyed it. You know, had some good times at party with it. We, we got our move to Dundee United. We had reasonable success there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then York was, York was different. York was a, a, a more difficult task. It didn't go well at all and probably served my my coaching experience. So what comes next then for you? For me, uh, not not coaching uh, at senior level. Uh, I, I dipped my toe back in there. Mark Wilson had asked me to go to Brecon. Brecon, Just after the first lockdown. And I've got different business ventures. I'm involved in an events business that obviously was totally scuppered once COVID came along. Mm-hmm. We had a bar in Spain, which we had to close. And one or two different things going on, which all came to a halt uh, due to COVID. So we just got out of lockdown and Mark said, look, I'm looking for a, a number two. And my initial reaction was uh, after the York thing, I was like, I, I, I don't think it's for me. <clears throat> he says, well, I'll give you 48 hours, have a think about it. Because it was Mark, I know Mark quite well. And I thought, dude, let's go and give it a chance. Let's see where we go with it. It never, it never worked out for, again, various reasons. But now I don't see it as part of uh, part of my future. I think I, I, my my football involvement just now is I do I do the football camps with Charlie Miller. Yeah, uh, we were doing them the year before uh, the lockdown. You know, just school holidays. The two of us started to do them, and they proved to be quite successful. So we did one in Easter there, 
and we're going to do it through the summer. So I think that'll be my, my football input. I've got other things on the go, but I don't see the volatility of, and, and it's, it's a 24 hour job as well. And you can be there one minute and there the next. And it's, I've had my, I've had my experience of that. I think of, I think that's behind me, to be honest. Maybe focus more on being the chauffeur for the boys now. <laughs> Driving the team bus. Right. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's it. But it is that your the manager side of the thing. It, it's a it's a brutal you know um, job to be in. He says you, you get all the abuse. You you get landed with with the the blame game as well. So yeah, it's not it's not a job I, w- I would envy to be honest. The, the best part of football, and it's not it's playing a hundred percent. You get the party. But we, we built a team there. We got I got a buzz off that. We went to Dundee United. We were working with some really good young talent, and I got a buzz off that for a period. But the best thing about football is playing because you can actually really affect it when you're on the pitch. You know, mm-hmm. when you're standing at the side, yes, you can affect. You can prepare them. You can give them the belief and the license to go and play. But it's, it boils down to the, the boys on the pitch for the ninety minutes, essentially. Mm-hmm. It's, it's interesting. Uh, I, I just it's one of these things I just couldn't see because you watch you know, the, these these managers like uh, Klopp and and Pep Guardiola. You know they're so you know animated on the on the side of the pitches and they're they're like hugging all their players and they, they create this like sort of unique dressing room. But then you get other people um, that are just very sort of like Mourinho again. Just mentioning him, you know, he just looks like, so detached from from everybody. So. Oh no, I just, uh, it's not something I'd envy, to be honest. It's a difficult job, it's a difficult job. I think the guys at the top, they obviously know football inside out, but I think their people skills, mm. I think their people skills are top notch. I think that's why these guys, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll look at the way, I was watching Man City celebrating earlier on and how mm-hmm. they react around Pep and Liverpool with Klopp. I think their people skills and how they get the best out of these people and even out with the guys that play there, you know, the staff behind the scenes and that, that's that's the secret. If you can get that, they, and these guys are top-notch at that. Cool, and just to, add, just to kind of finish up on a kind of lighter note, who's the kind of best player you've played with or against or both? Uh, Henrik's the best I've played with. Although a pretty good show, I played yeah. with some brilliant, brilliant players. I've been really lucky to play with some, but I think Henrik takes number one, and I played against Robert Prozinetsky when he was at Barcelona. It was a friendly, and I don't know why, but Tommy Burns put me in the middle of the park that night. must have been no McStain, that must have been injured. I found myself centre mid, which was not my position, up against Prozinetsky, who by all accounts was 40, 50 fags a day. I was going to say, you've seen it, like, just reeking of fags in the middle of the pitch, man. I, I could really, he was, he was probably giving me 10 years. I need to check it, but he was, he was a lot older than me at the time. Could not get near him. Could not get near him. He was thinking quicker than me. He was doing everything quicker than me. He gave me an absolute footballing lesson. It was only a friendly, but it's the thing that sticks in my head. He gave me an absolute torrid time. So I'd probably say him. Was, was, there, was there any, any one game that, that stands out that you played in from your career? I think uh, out with your kind of debut, which always 
it's, I think the five one when when Lubo's first game against Rangers, right. I'd experienced doings off Rangers <laughs> mid nineties and horrible experiences in games against them. And that night, maybe it was a, a kind of personal payback in my own head for all the games that I suffered. Uh, uh, Adam that night, we Lubo was electric, scored two, I think Henrik got two, and we Butchie got the fifth, and that was, you talk about the atmosphere, and mm-hmm. that was one that, that's probably the one that sticks. We didn't win the league that year, ironically enough, that was 99. We, we still the gave them a scalp in 5-1, so. <laughs> <laughs> Released a DVD over it. Mirachik's that player that, uh, you just kind of wish Celtic had discovered him a little bit earlier in his career. He was a phenomenal uh, player. So good. Dr. Joe knew him. Dr. Joe had worked him before. And mm-hmm. What uh, a player. What a player. Yeah, Again, yeah. like them, never heard him. Came into training and you're like, who's this guy? At <laughs> <laughs> the end of the first session, every every player's jaws don't you just like, what? Put it in the right, the left. Yeah. It was Hugh Keevans, I'm pretty sure Hugh Keevans was banging on about his last guys. What's this guy going to do? And all like, who is this guy? <laughs> Next thing he's absolutely tearing the league to shreds, man. Right. Well, we'll get we'll give you a break from uh, the questions now, and we're going to go into our heroes and zeros. Um, so basically, we'll all pick a hero of the week, a zero of the week, and then you judge who's the Who's the best zero? Who's the best zero? Right. Um, so we'll let you pick. What, what do you want us to start with? Heroes or zeros? Start with zeros. Zeros, get the negativity out of the way. I like it. Make sure high. Yeah, that's it. Right. Uh, Skywalker, you want to roll us off with a zero? Yeah, sure. Well, <clears throat> I've uh, I've gone political this uh, this week. Uh, so my zero this week is actually going to be Nicholas Sturgeon. Um, so the the, the voting uh, obviously went SNP's way, and almost immediately she came out and started going on about this referendum again. And I just thought it was very poor timing uh, on the fact that we're still in the middle of this pandemic. We're still going through it now. On a whole, I think she actually handled the pandemic very well. Um, the way she her lockdowns, a few things didn't agree with, but on the whole, I thought it, it all went very well. But the, they're talking about the national debt being, you know, in the trillions, and I was like, going into a referendum where we're going to be a separate company, a company, a country. Uh, <laughs> it's just it was just poor timing, um, and I thought she could have handled that a little bit better. So she's going to be my my zero for this week. Okay. And watch, you'll, you'll probably be the, the biggest uh, Nicholas Dodgson fan in, in the planet and <laughs> shoot herself in the foot. But yeah, that's it. I'm not political, but actually, she, I didn't. Just, there you go. Well, I'll go next, and I'm glad you said you're not political because my next one is also political, mate. So, <laughs> right. and that's a, that's a rarity for me because I don't really get involved in it, and I can't stand a lot of them, right? But I went for. I actually found an article about this person and then it get highlighted again today something else she'd done and I was like, this is it she's getting it so it's this a uh, pretty patel right so she's the, i think she's the home secretary again i may be wrong here i think she's the home secretary but um she came she basically there was a picture taken and they, they used it as a pr opportunity to get a picture of her and they were evicting like a, an immigrant and the guy's getting dragged out of his house and she's standing there 
and this big fucking jacket with home secretary written there, standing all proud and all the rest of it. I was like, it was just really classless, but obviously yeah. she's been banging on about the stuff in Muir Street, saying that, um, you know, these guys are safety concerns and stuff. But it turns out they've been in the country for 10 years. One's a chef, one's a mechanic. I'm like, well, they're really biding their time here, like, if they're, if they're a safety threat. <laughs> um, but then I also heard her coming out today saying that all the, ho- the ministers that are breaking the rules, eh, nothing should um, happen to them because they've got hard jobs. I was like, everyone else has got hard jobs, so you can't have people mincing about. So she just, even, I don't know, man, maybe this is not PC, but even just looking at her, man, she fucking winds me up, man. She's just got one of those. <laughs> so she's, my, she's my zero for the week. I, I thought that the, the home secretary jacket, it's like the kind of coach's jacket you see, like, <laughs> right. but it was like the, it was like the still game coaching jacket. It was like the still game one, just the big... <laughs> But I the Terminator, nice. so that's her. So what about you, Gamble? Who's, who's yours? Right, mine are, and this is a bit of a bizarre one, but some animal rights activists going under the guise of animal rebellion. Uh, I think it was, it was a, I don't know what day it was, a day or two ago, decided to start blocking McDonald's distribution centres around the UK. And it's, I'm not, I'm not putting them as zeros because I couldn't get my Big Mac. But it's because uh, basically they were doing it because they want everyone to be on a plant-based diet. Uh, and they want McDonald's to commit to being 100% plant-based by 2025. And I'm like, why are you going around blocking it? McDonald's would just not be a business if it's plant-based by 2025. It's not their choice. I, I know. Fair enough. If, I, I think we should all probably eat a little bit less meat, but do we all have to be plant-based? And do we all have to decide to do what they want to do? What if you're hungover? Exactly. <laughs> a leaf. And brewed a big Aye, I'm, I'm not going to have a, a mozzarella and fucking sun-dried tomato meatball, do you know what I mean? Like, anyway. But yeah, I just thought it was a bit ridiculous the way they're trying to enforce their their belief and their decision on people, and especially by putting McDonald's at risk. Okay. So, so about you, are. Simon? Judge and jury? Be good points. Well made. Nicholas uh, Sturgeon. Happy, I'm happy that we didn't get back into another tier. And I mean, he's strength for sure. I thought we might have been going back on Friday, but we didn't. So I'm not going to pick Nicola. Uh, oh, you got all excited there, I got you? excited. <laughs> 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 the immigrants, that thing that was in Port Shaw's last week was quite mm. inspirational when they were trying to get rid of a family or a couple of guys and everybody came out in numbers to to stop it happening. And animal activists at McDonald's, my son works at McDonald's, uh, and I love animals. We've got a dog, but I like my meat. <laughs> so go with Pretty Patel. Yes! Oh, there you yes. go. Do you know I something? This is, this is brilliant. This is brilliant, because I get pumped at this every single fucking episode. So... I'm buzzing about this. And, but he, he set the tone there with this whole, like, it gets a bit competitive with his little puppy eyes and everything. Fucking cheating as always. It's a podcast, <laughs> mate. You can't see my eyes. So I, I, shut it. I can, I can, I can visualise those puppy eyes. Oh, you're sounding like a really sore loser here, mate. Right, I, I was, was going to say, this is Skywalker heading into creepy territory, talking about visualising your puppy eyes. <laughs> Plenty. Right, okay. Right, so let's, let's move on. Right, here, on heroes. Yeah, well, you take us off, mate. Right, okay, so um, this was happened quite recently over in uh, Ocean City in Maryland, or Maryland, however you pronounce it, over in the States. 
So basically, it was a multi-car crash on a road bridge going over a river. And a, one of the cars, there was a two-year-old basically on impact, got launched out of the car and into the river. And a passerby in his car, him and his daughter got out and a, they saw the toddler was apparently bobbing around on their back and looked okay. And then just the, the current or whatever flipped her onto her front and then she went under the water. And he just, without a thought, shouted to his daughter, get someone to call the emergency services. Jumped off the bridge 30 feet down into the river and uh, managed to rescue this wee kid and got the attention of a passing by boat to get her onto that. And she made a full recovery and everything. And then even after it, he just basically apparently went off and uh, didn't want to take any credit for it. It was basically people tracked him down for it about three days later. His name was Jonathan Bauer. Sounds fake. Um, <laughs> It's definitely not. Don't you start this. <laughs> Just because you know you can't beat it. <laughs> did, did, you not, did you not watch that on Netflix somewhere? Oh, Jesus, was that what? The guy looked like Matt Damon that was talking about it. Oh, hold on, was it, was it Jack Bauer? <laughs> no, I was just watching 24. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> what about you, Ali? Who have you got? So, so I've gone for a 22-year-old student uh, from Arizona. <laughs> <laughs> Are you laughing at? That's uh, good. We've gone a different direction. <laughs> no, I definitely not. So it's a guy called Josh. I don't know how he pronounces his last name. Josh Swain, I think it is. Um, anyway, he's a student, and during lockdown, he came up with an idea that to contact everyone on the internet called Josh, uh, and he organised uh, a kind of a quote unquote fight uh, to see who would be the, the the ruler of the name Josh. So he, they ended up going to this big massive park, and uh, they got the um, the foam. Um, noodles and they basically had a big fight in this park of all these people called Josh and they had like thumb wars and all this kind of stuff so I just thought it was hilarious uh, and I was like and he, he actually won like the thumb war thing so anyway, I was like it was just a funny story to read so yeah big Josh from Arizona he wins it for me <laughs> okay well I'm going to go for Edwin van der Sar my hero okay um, who obviously superstar goalie couldn't keep Naka's free kicks out, but still a really good goalkeeper, <laughs> um, who's now the chief exec over at Ajax. But obviously, pandemic and all that's been a shite year, no fans and all the rest of it. So they were awarded the league title. But what he commissioned was for the league title to be melted down and made into 42,000 stars for each of the season ticket holders as a wee symbol of their appreciation. So they get given a replica by the league, but the actual trophy was melted down as a wee show of appreciation. I thought it was a real touch of class, um, given. People are still forking out a lot of money to no seeing. So he's going to be my hero for the week. Did they, did they make any for people that rescued toddlers? Or? <laughs> Unless they were season ticket holders, aye. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. There's your three, Simon. Judge right, okay. I'm going to... As much as Josh sounds a bit of a laugh, <laughs> I'd like to have seen footage of it. I'm not going for Josh. Sorry. I'll, I'll, say, I'll email it to you later. Van der Sar sounds that's pretty decent, you know, in terms of the season being one for the fans that nobody can get to. And so what will they do? Will they, they make a new... So the, aye, so they've been given a replica trophy, but the actual one that they were awarded, the real one, that's been melted down and they've given all this like, a wee star for all of them. The fans are going to have that memento for the rest of their days uh, yeah. which is 
tremendous in the football world, but I'm going to go with Bauer. <laughs> Jack Bauer. Absolute hero. That's movie stuff, but yeah, mm. that's it. Bridge to Saver. I need to go with that. Yeah. Aye, fair enough. When you started to say the toddler, I knew I was on to plums anyway, man. So <laughs> I was never going to win that. So I, I did think that might that, that's probably me for the, like the I've blown my load on season on uh, episode <laughs> one of season two. There we go. I've, I've got a do better on my report card, so that's fine. <laughs> Must try harder, Alistair. <laughs> well, that leads well. us nicely on to our last wee bit of this evening. So this speed round, so you're on uh, spotlights on you again, Simon. So we've got 10 questions, quite fire questions. So just whatever comes to your head first, nothing too challenging. And yeah, are you ready to rock? Yeah. Just if it makes you feel any better, everyone else has been amazing at this. So <laughs> no pressure. Everyone else has got it right. <laughs> <laughs> 10 out of 10s all round. Right, okay. Cool. Someone count me in. Uh, three, two, one, go. Your favourite holiday destination? Côte d'Azur, south of France. Who would your man crush be? <laughs> Liam Gallagher. Liam Gallagher, okay. It's a debut for him. Oh. Um, your favourite superhero? Ooh. Spider-Man. Okay. Who would play you? Just touching on the whole toddler thing. Who would play you in a movie of your life? Oh, who's, I've lost his name. Uh, Dinklage. Big guy Dinklage. Dinklage. <laughs> That's what they used to do. That's an man. absolute belter, man. <laughs> right. uh, what is your biggest fear or phobia? Heights or snakes. Heights or snakes. Okay. Who is the most famous person you've ever met? Eh... Uh, The Nielsen. He's a dick. What is it he's mentioned? Uh, <laughs> famous, 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 famous. Billy Conley. Oh, there's a good oh, one. That's, that's a good one. Okay. What's one thing you're really bad at? I only... <laughs> Defending. Defending. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, if you were to buy a boat, you may already have one. I don't know. But if you're to buy a boat, what would you what would you name it? Oh, I can't even. Uh, something boring. Siddler Seven. Siddler Seven. Right. Okay. That's a good one. Can't think anything. Um. Okay. At a dinner party, you've got the chance for three guests. They can be any person, any time, famous, non-famous, real or no real, whatever you want. Who would it be and why? Sir Alex Delgerson. Yep. Uh, why? Just He is the oracle of football. I would just love to listen to him. Uh, I'll go, seeing that I mentioned in my man crush, I'll go his brother, Noel Gallagher. Right. They are my, one of my favourite bands and he could bring his guitar and someone, someone on the spot. 
No pressure, we can edit this wee bit out. <laughs> <laughs> Up one, I will go for Ricky Gervais. Okay. Um, I don't think I could spend five minutes in his company. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I fucking like voice grinds me, man. Oh Good. my god. Oh, I like my father in law hates him as well. <clears throat> no, I think he's a big fan of the office right through all his work. Holy Ricky. Okay, okay. So, last question. Desert Islands, you've got three things you'd like to take with you. What are they? Um, some sort of music system. Right. Uh, this is what, what Ali says he wants you to take five bottles of rum with you. As well, <laughs> <laughs> well that's it. He's the music. the music. Sort of bar. Alcohol. And I'm not a big reader. Any uh, idea? I'm watching the golf. My golf clubs. Golf clubs. <laughs> you make your I own just, course. I know. S- so that sounds the, like an absolutely yeah. amazing trip, by the way. I know. Send me the location. I'll be there. Okay, that's you. You've completed yeah. it. Safe to say, you got 10 out of 10, mate. So well done. <laughs> Passed. You got 10 out of 10. Oh, Brilliant. Man. Yeah, that was excellent. Now before we before we fully wrap up, we've got um, one thing we're doing this time <coughs> is we are... We're making our little backbar podcast playlist on Spotify, so we're going to be asking all our guests to chuck us what's what would be your kind of first song on your playlist if you're making something up. Um, so yeah, what would what's your number one song then that you you'd pick to add to that? Hey, number one song I will give you. My other favourite band. I'm going to give you. Uh, Sugar Spun Sister Stone Roses Sorted Nice one I was so certain it was going to be like Champagne Supernova or something like that Well just because I've mentioned Oasis there Sure love right I love that Can he have the, the Oasis getting two mentions in the new single one so can we having that Magic oh, Right excellent. well that's uh, that's been brilliant having you on no, that was really interesting that, yeah, mate, Thanks very much really Yeah good no fun, problem yeah. Sorry for the, the couple of put-offs earlier on. Yeah. Don't worry, it's not, the, it's not the first first time we've been KB'd in our lives, so uh, <laughs> <laughs> don't worry about it. Got there. Aye, we uh, got there in the end. Well worth the wait. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. exactly. No, it was brilliant. Appreciate it again, Simon. Yeah. Okay, Thanks very much for being with us. Right. See you later. Good evening, Simon. Thank Thank you. You. See you later. Bye. Okay, so that's a, that's a wrap with Simon Donnelly for tonight. That was a awesome chat hearing some stories about back in the Scotland Celtic Sheffield days, etc. Um, we nice to get a wee Celtic man on as well. Exactly. Celtic, Celtic. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, this is we don't care and we don't support a team because we're yeah. very impartial. But we're we're, Celtic, Celtic. we're, we're very we're very much like our previous guest Emma Dodds in that we do not support a team. Uh, <laughs> we, we, we get a manager we can support that's the <laughs> but yeah okay we will be we'll be back again soon with another episode uh, so we've got more good guests lined up for the rest of season two and as we said at the start if you like us subscribe rate review comment share 
do all that good stuff and we will be talking to you again soon cheers folks thanks guys